Welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. We are in the second talk of our three-part series called Relationship Goals, and this is based on a very trendy term. If you were to hashtag relationship goals on like Instagram, for instance, you're going to pull up 18 million different pictures that people have hashtag relationship goals. And I think it's a, a really good idea to kind of examine our goals when it comes to our relationships. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, many of us don't have relationship goals. And because of that, we have relationship ruts. And we introduced the idea of goals last week. We kind of defined the goal. We talked about, and, and I, I used my, my, uh, my props. I love sermon props. Um, but this is you know, kind of the idea of goals. If, if you think about the, the term goal, it's defined as the result or achievement toward which effort is directed or aim or end. And, and so we talked about part of the goal is to set the target and to fix the aim. But then there's this other element. So I could set the target and, and I could fix my aim all day long, but what's going to allow me to be able to actually shoot it, all right, oh, that went pretty far, but what allowed me to shoot it is the effort. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, it takes effort. Say, it takes effort. Turn to somebody else and say, it takes effort. And that's what we want to camp out on today. Uh, people were laughing last week because uh, I told you that I wanted to entitle today's talk, Help, I Married the Wrong Person. And that got a, a, a little uh, fun re reaction. Uh, and then, you know, of course, uh, it also got some pushback. Uh, my wife is like, really? Did you think you married the wrong person? I go, no, no, you gotta, I, gotta, I had to explain it to Tara. Like, like, this is the idea of relationship goals is we all marry the wrong person. But it's not about finding the right partner. It's really found in becoming the right person for our partner. And that's what we want to talk about today in really looking at the idea of putting effort out there. Here... And I'm not going to talk exclusively to those of you that are married, because I know that statistically over half, and probably this service, because there are so many young adults, more than half of you are single. So I don't want you to tune us out every time we use the word marriage, because this is as important to you as it is to the married people, because more than likely, at some point in your life, you're going to get married. So you might as well learn these truths now and save yourself a lot of future headache and heartache than to tune me out and say that it doesn't apply to my life now. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to read a section of Scripture from chapter 5. And as you're looking at that, going back to the idea of effort, uh, 
when a relationship is new, regardless if it's a person that you're attracted to, you want to start dating, or it's just somebody in general that it's just a new relationship, we, we tend to put a little bit more effort into new relationships than we do old relationships, don't we? Like, I remember when I first started dating Tara a couple decades ago, that, you know, when we started seeing each other, I put a ton of effort, she put a ton of effort. We, we want to impress, right? We, we take a little bit longer to get ready, you know, because we're going to go see them, and, and we're dressed to impress, you know? And, and you know, as, as the relationship kind of kind of matures, let's just say, we don't put as much effort into it. But at the very beginning of a relationship, it's funny how sometimes we can put so much effort in there that, that we actually even justify like lying just to impress the person. When I first started dating Tara, I was going to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo studying animal science, and I was hanging out with a bunch of cowboys. And we we're doing all these cattle projects together over there in San Luis Obispo. But what's funny about that culture is it tends to, I don't know, it, it, it tends to kind of have an effect on you. So I kind of started doing this metamorphosis, and, and I had this, this phase of my life, I actually bought some Wranglers, and I bought boots, and I know you say, well, you were born and raised in Bakersfield. You guys all are like that. Well, I wasn't really. I was more of a rocker at heart, but I hung out with these cowboys, and I kind of became a cowboy. And so when Tara and I started dating, it was during that phase of my life, I was really into country music. I was wearing my Wranglers and, and boots. And, and one day, I picked her up from work. She worked at a video store. Remember those? And she was working at a video store, and I came in, I got her, and we went somewhere. And I put on uh, some, so I think it was Ricky Skaggs or something, like some country music, and I was listening. I go, hey, do you love country music? She goes, I love country music. And we listened to country music and went around and just hung out together and just had fun together. And then fast forward, you know, the relationship is maturing, and, and we're, now we're going out. We're calling each other boyfriend, girlfriend. And months go by, and, and we, we have this conversation. I start listening to country music. She says, hey, I, I got to be honest with you about something. I go, yeah? She goes, I, I really like you but I can't stand country music. Like, it's just, it's just terrible. I, I just, I can't listen to it. So I was like, what? Well, we stopped listening to country music at that point, but I was like, wow, that's so interesting that we're willing to put effort out there at the beginning of a relationship. What if we kept pushing out that same amount of effort even as the relationship, not that I'm endorsing like lying continually, but, but what if we just like, just continue to, to put effort out there to impress that person that we are in relationship with throughout the time of us having a relationship with them? We, we probably, if we're honest, would avoid a lot of the ruts many of our relationships are currently in because we've stopped putting the effort out. So we want to talk about this today, and, and I know that, you know, we talk about relationships in general, but I, I do want to zero in specifically about marriage today. And, and even though I'm going to be specifically talking about the context of, of like marriage, this is for you singles as well, because more than likely you're seeking marriage, and, and today's talk I believe is going to be liberating for you. Especially at the talk of, there's no real way to pick the right person. There really isn't. And some of you, let's just be honest, you've watched too many Disney movies. 
You're just looking for that, that perfect person. And, and because of that, it's messed you up. It's paralyzed you in a way. So, so it's going to be really liberating for those of you that are single seeking marriage. But for those of you that are right now, that you're just in that stage where you're surviving marriage, you know, that, that passion has been replaced by the pressures of life, and, and you're just lucky if you just get a, a little quick convo in with each other before you go to bed at night. I, I, I'm going to speak encouragement to you that are in that space. But then there's others of you that are in the stage in your marriage that your, your marriage needs to be saved. Like you know that it is by the grace of God that you're even still with your husband or with your wife. And you're just in a, in a place that you're praying for a miracle of God. I believe that some of you today are going to receive the miracle that you've been praying for. That I believe that there is going to be healing in marriage today. That the same God that sent Jesus, who resurrected from the dead, is more than capable of resurrecting a dead marriage. And if you don't have the faith to believe that, you can borrow mine today. Because I really believe it. Because I've seen it. And so many marriages that have been around my life through the years. So we want to talk about marriage specifically because it's in trouble. The institution of marriage, as, as we think of it, is in major jeopardy right now. Like if, if I were to put marriage on a stress test and I, and I was a doctor examining marriage, there's some major bad symptoms going on that, that we need to talk about because it applies to everything in our relationships. But let's just talk about marriage in general and some of the symptoms that are going on that kind of indicates that marriage is in a major failure mode right now. Number one is the trend that, that there's a decline in marriage in general for our culture, that less people are getting married now. Do you know that in 1960, 75% of our nation were married adults? You know, today there are more single adults than there are married adults. First time in our nation's history that more people are single than married. So that, that's been within the last 50 or 60 years, this trend. And, and some of this trend is based upon the fact that people are getting married later in life. I, I think the average uh, marriage age just a few years ago was like 24. It's bumped up to like 27 or 28 now. And some people are just refusing to get married at all. There's a new phenomenon in 1960, this was unheard of, that, that people are choosing to live together rather than get married to one another because of all these different cultural norms now. Like that was unheard of in 1960, but it's almost like the socially acceptable way to take a next step in your relationship is you live together before you get married. And for those of us that maybe, you know, born 1980 and later, you know, like, you know, the 70s, we're the, the 70s and 80s kids, right? That we have a hard time, but you gotta understand that the Gen Z generation, the millennial generation, they grew up with hookups, thirst traps, and sliding into DMs with each other. So that relationship context for them is totally different. So a talk on marriage is really necessary because some of them have never heard a talk about marriage because of the culture that has just been surrounding them and saturating their lives. 
So for them, it just makes sense. Absolutely. Like before I get married, I'm going to live with this person because I need to know if I have good chemistry with them. I need to know if we're compatible. And the best way to do that is, is you live together. What you're going to find out is that none of us are compatible with each other. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But the second symptom I think is really needing to be talked about and that at the same time there's been a decline in marriage, there's been an increase in divorce. That right now, statistically, about half of first-time marriages end in divorce. And that's pretty consistent for people that attend church regularly and have never attended church. It's about statistically the same, about half. Now, this is what's crazy is that if you try to get married a second time, the statistics of, of uh, rates of, of failure go up to, I think, 60%, and third marriages are like 70%. It just keeps going. But, but let me just pause right here because I don't want to sound like I'm condemning those of you that have walked through a divorce. Because I want you to know something about Atmosphere Church. We believe just as much as we're a training center, we're also a trauma center. That people come in here bleeding all the time, and we believe that the love of God is so strong and so powerful, he can take the most broken person and put them back together again and heal them from the inside out. We see him do it all the time. So I want you to know that we don't condemn you. We have compassion for you, and we want to speak that healing power of God into your hurting heart right now in whatever relationship trauma that you've been through. We love you, and we're here to, to just be in your corner, to walk this season of your life with you. But with that said, I was listening to a radio broadcast the other day, and it uh, featured the late Larry King. How many have heard Larry King? I mean, he was on CNN doing interviews for decades, right? But this interview fascinated me because I've never heard Larry King be interviewed. And so he was being interviewed, and these guys were asking him about his life, and then, here came the question. Larry, what's your advice on marriage? And they started chuckling together because I didn't know this, but that Larry King was married eight different times. I don't know if you knew that or not. He, he's had a lot of different marriages. And his answer was just, it, it, it was so clarifying for the, the way that people look at marriage these days. He said, hey, I, I'm not af afraid to admit that, that I've had a lot of marriages, I've had a lot of failures, but here, this is how I look at it. Like, I'm going to live my life, and if my wife doesn't want to do what I want her to do, or I'm not doing what she wants to do, it's just, you know, we just, we'll call it off. We'll call it quits. So it was really clarifying to me, because what he was talking about is that his relationship goal in marriage is self-fulfillment. And when my wife is no longer fulfilling me, it's time to trade her in for a new model, and we see this not just with Larry King, but we see this with all kinds of people. It got me thinking after I heard this interview, I go, what? I wonder what the world record is for the most amount of time somebody's been married in America. And do you know I found the answer? 29 times. And the record is held by a man that just died not too long ago that lived right here in Southern California. His name was Glenn Wolf. Married 29 different times, and ironically, you're going to find this really weird, he was a Baptist minister. True story. Married 29 times, I think, to 27 different women. And I was like, so fast. He died shortly before his 89th birthday. But you know what the sad part of his story is? 
he died and no one even claimed his body. It sat in the morgue forever. They finally buried him in an unmarked grave somewhere in LA. He fathered over 40 children. Think about this. That attitude of self-fulfillment that caused him to move on from wife after wife to wife after wife and you know, continuing to father child after child at the end of his life, we're talking, you know, it's one thing to have nobody show up to your funeral, but to have nobody even claim your body. Wow. So there is a cultural normal to define a marriage goal as being with somebody that fulfills your life. But what I want to talk to you today about is the scripture in Ephesians 5, because what we're going to learn from the Bible is that the marriage goal is not self-fulfillment, it's actually self-sacrifice. And this kind of rubs us the wrong way because naturally we want to be fulfilled and naturally we don't want to sacrifice. So this comes unnaturally to us, but the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 is going to give us some clarification for how this takes place in our life. And I'm going to start off by reading verse 22 to the end of the chapter. The book of Ephesians is good in general, but I love chapter 5, even chapter 6. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me back up. Let me go to verse 22. Wives, submit to yourselves, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands, ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one even hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is from Genesis chapter two, by the way. It says, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And he goes on to talk about the role of children in chapter 6. But what I want you to see is he's making a comparison of marriage to the essence of the gospel. Now, just to kind of unpack the gospel message for those of you that may be new to church and new to faith, the gospel message is that God sent his son Jesus to this earth so that he could stand in the penalty of our sin and take it upon himself so that we could be forgiven of our sin so that we could be made right with God. So the gospel is all about the sacrificial love that we never earned or never deserved. As far as God sees us, we're messed up people. Look at your neighbor and say, you're messed up. 
Look back at him and say, look who's talking. I know you. <laughs> We're all messed up. And the gospel means good news. And the good news that God has proclaimed through Jesus is that even though you're messed up and even though you don't deserve it, Christ came to this earth and died for you and loved you anyway. But God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 verse 8. That's the gospel. And what Paul does here is he takes the institution of marriage and he says, here's the relationship goal. If you want to win in your marriage, it's not about self-fulfillment. It comes with self-sacrifice. If you want to have the marriage that God always intended you to have, it's not about actually doing so, or, or having a person that does everything for you, but it's about doing everything for the person that is in your life right now. That, that's the gospel involved with who you are as a married person specifically. Now, as we think about this idea, I know some of you, it's like, this doesn't make sense that actually through sacrifice, we're actually gonna be, we're, we're gonna find fulfillment. That seems kind of ironic, pastor. I don't know. I don't know if I buy into that. Well, the same is true about our relationship with Christ. We're celebrating baptisms today. We have right now, we have four. There's, there's still room for you if you haven't made that next step decision in your faith and have been baptized with water. It, it is a defining moment for your faith because we really believe it's an outward profession of what you've already confessed in your heart to follow Jesus. But it's an, it's an important act, not just because Jesus commanded us to do it, but really there's symbolism for your own soul to recognize that when you go into the water, and we fully immerse you here at Atmosphere, when you go into the water, it represents and symbolizes your own death. And we lower you in, and you're basically dying. You're going into the water, but you're, you're, you're coming up alive. So in order to live, you must first die. And that seems counterintuitive. Like, you're telling me, I have to die so that I can live. And my answer is, absolutely. Let me give you a scripture, Galatians 2.20, my favorite baptism verse that I love reading when we baptize people. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. In other words, I die, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the idea, is that you live once you die. You get fulfilled. The very thing some of you are hoping and praying for in your relationship that you want to be fulfilled in your life, the way to fulfillment is actually through your own sacrifice. That's the gospel. And I will go as far as to say this based upon Ephesians chapter five. Marriage is to reflect the gospel. And without the gospel, marriage won't work. Because you are incompatible with everybody that you meet. I, I got to read you this thing from Duke University ethics professor Stanley Hauerwas. And Dr. Hauerwas said this. He says, destructive to marriage is a self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment. Necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. 
This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always married the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. So it's impossible to find that fulfillment in this stranger that you find yourself married to because you really don't fully know who it is that you're marrying. I read it this week. It says, I once dated Mr. Wright. I just didn't know his first name was always. Thank you for the laughter on that. But on top of the fact that we don't really know who we're marrying and that we're always marrying the wrong person, the Bible declares to us that there's another issue going on. And the issue inside of us is sin. And, and sin, partnered with somebody else's sin, is a recipe for problems, isn't it? Because the Bible declares to us that, that there is a self-centeredness that all of us possess. And you might say that it's there to help us preserve our own life, but it also is the number one troublemaker in our relationship. Can you think of a time that you had conflict in a relationship, even beyond your marriage, that the conflict began with your own selfishness, your own self-centeredness? It happens to so many people. Arthur Denise Rogmont said, why should neurotic, selfish, immature people suddenly become angels when they fall in love? <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? So the only way that you are going to reach the relationship goal that you desire for your marriage to possess, and more importantly, that God desires for you to enter, is through this place of self-sacrifice that can only be entered through the gospel. And so I wanna help you. I like to make it real simple here. I love to give you action steps because some of you are like, okay, but what does that look like practically, pastor? Like I'm single and I'm, I'm seeking marriage or I'm surviving marriage or I'm just trying to stay married. But what does that look like practically? How can I move my life to this sacrificial love that you're talking about in the gospels? I wanna give you just three action steps that you can apply to your relationship right now or to your future spouse that God is going to bring into your life in the future. So write these down. This is how you are going to show the effort. I, I like to call it energize the effort. So here's three ways you energize the effort. Number one, write this down, is you switch your setting. Turn to your neighbor and say, switch your setting. Switch your setting, all right? I just told you that we have this propensity to be self-centered. That's the default setting that you have in your system. Like, you know about default settings when it comes to computers, don't you? I just learned this the other day. We got a new home printer, and so we got it home, and I'm not real tech savvy, but I was super impressed that I knew how to hook it up, and, you know, it was, it was a wireless printer, so it added a little bit more complications to the setup, but I got it all set up, and I hit print, and man, that thing was print. It was even in color. I was like, wow, this is an awesome printer, and I figured it out. Well, I turned the computer off, and the next day, I have some printing to do from a document. 
And so I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to print my document to the new printer. And I hit print, and I'm waiting. I go to the printer, and nothing's coming out. So I'm like, I must not hit the print button. I hit print again. Nothing's coming out. I hit print again. Nothing's coming out. And I don't know why we do this, but I just keep hitting it. Like, the more times I'm hitting print, eventually it's going to work. How many else do that with your computer? If I just hit the button harder, it'll work. Anybody else do that? So I'm there, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, what is happening in this stupid printer? And I'm about ready to lose Jesus in this moment of technology problems. And, and then I realized something. See, when I installed the new printer, the old printer didn't get uninstalled. And so my computer, when I turned it off and turned it back on, it went back to the default setting printer. So it was trying to find this old printer and send all of my documents to because I was sending it to that old printer. I had to manually go in and take off the default setting of what it was going to and put it to a new setting so it would go to the new output to the new printer. We're frustrated in our lives because we're constantly sending our things to the old way that we used to do life. God has installed a new way for you to live your life. God has installed a new way for you to have relationships, but you have to switch your setting. Turn to your neighbor again and say, switch your setting. You got to switch your setting. Now, how we do this as people of God, as followers of Jesus, is we have to be intentional every morning. Not, not just every week, every morning. Sometimes every hour, if we're honest. And we have to say, God, I need you to fill me up. Because right now, my old settings are trying to have their way. And we all have those moments where those old settings kind of pop up and wreak havoc, but it takes intentionality. You say, God, fill me up. And what's interesting to me is in the same passage in Ephesians 5, right before it starts talking about this idea of a gospel marriage, it talks about this in verse 18. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek language, that word to be filled is an interesting word. It's a continual filling. It's not like a one-time thing where you raise your hand at church and say, I'm filled with the Spirit. No, this is something that the Bible is telling us that every day we are to be filled with the Spirit of God so that we don't fall back to our default settings. So when was the last time you went to the filling station and was filled up with the Spirit of God? Because that, my friends, is going to help launch you into the sacrificial love lifestyle that we've all been called to live, not just for our marriages, but for every relationship around our life. We are, are, are able to put on display the love of God the more sacrificially we love people that are around our life. And you might say the gospel is most glorified in us with the people that are hardest to love in our life. But how do we do that? Not on our own power. <laughs> that does not come naturally for you. You have to be filled with something that is beyond you. And the Bible is declaring to us that God has given you the power to overcome your default setting. But you have to be intentional to fill yourself up with that power. Are you tracking with me, church? This is essential business right here. If you want to have the marriage that God wants you to have. Now let's go on to the second point because we're, out of, we're, we're almost out of time here. Uh, number two is master the serve. Look at your neighbor and say, master the serve. 
Now, I have a tennis coach right here in my midst, and he loves language like that. Master the serve, because that's where you win the game. And the same is true for us. If we, if we want to win in our relationships, it comes down to mastering the serve, which again, it doesn't come naturally to us. We tend to serve people that first serve us, but the gospel is declaring is that we initiate the serve. We initiate the serve. And the more that we serve, the more we get to step into the sacrificial love because sometimes you're gonna serve somebody that doesn't deserve to be served. Hello, somebody. Can I say that one more time? You're gonna step into relationships where you're gonna serve somebody that doesn't deserve to be served. And when it comes to the marriage relationship, it gets really difficult and it gets really messy because we don't want to serve somebody that hurt our feelings, that did something that we don't approve of. But listen to what the Bible declares to us in Galatians 5, verse 13. My brothers and sisters, God called you to be free, but do not use your freedom as an excuse to do what pleases your sinful self. There's the default setting. Serve each other with love. Marriage requires a radical commitment to love our spouses as they are and be willing to serve them no matter what. Now, bros, my fellow dudes, lean into this. Because even though the Bible says that we are equal, men and women, we're equal. We're on the same playing field here. There's an extra responsibility given in this scripture to the husbands. That when it comes to leadership, God has wired us as men to set the temperature for the rest of the family. So some of you men are frustrated with what's happening in your home. I want you to take a deep internal inventory and ask you a very important question. What temperature are you setting for the rest of your family? Because as you go, so do they. And this is just something that God has put into the DNA of a family, that the man has that mantle on him, whether he wants it or not. And so men, I'm challenging you right now and, and saying that if you begin the process of serving your family, especially serving your wife, more than likely, she is going to return the favor back to you. Somebody said it this way to me years ago, and I'll never forget it because I, I've seen it in my own marriage. Husbands, treat your wife like she's a queen, and she will in turn start treating you like a king. We get so frustrated by what our spouse is not bringing us, and we get locked into that, and we start thinking of that old Janet Jackson song of the 80s. Dun, dun, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we do that. We're just like, I'm, I'm not going to serve you because what have you done for me lately? If you think about it, then maybe I'll do it. But, but there is a little bit of truth, guys, that if we do this, our wives will more than likely reciprocate that in their own life. Now, I will pause and I will say that this isn't an excuse to let somebody abuse you. If you're physically or mentally or verbally being abused, that's not saying you tolerate abusive behavior. 
That's a, that's a different message. But I, I'm talking about on the surface, those feelings that you have inside of you that push back and say, I don't want to serve that guy. I don't want to serve that lady. They haven't been really nice to me lately. But this could jumpstart something because it's moving you into a sacrificial love that really will give you the fulfillment that you've been longing for this whole time. And here's the third one. I'll have the worship band come up because we're, we're already over time. I apologize too. We, we got the last service out of time or, or over time and you guys probably were like, where do I park here? It was my fault. All right, I'll take full responsibility. But here's the third point. Write this down. is celebrate the good. This, this right here, this point is probably the most overlooked point with a gospel marriage that, that we, can, we can really focus on today in this talk. Because here's our problem, and we're all stuck in this space. We always focus on the negative more than the positive. We get stuck focused on all the things that are bad instead of celebrating the things that are good. And let me tell you something about your relationship. It may be really stinky, and it may be really broken, but I guarantee you there's some good in it. I know that there's good in it. I know if there was never any good in it, you would have probably never walked down the aisle and made these vows before a minister to be together with that person until death do you part, because that's a pretty huge commitment. And I will say this, that a marriage without God is really a marriage that is doomed to fail because God never intended marriage to be done without him. God has always intended himself to be the third wheel in your relationship. And think about the difference of a bicycle and a tricycle. There's a reason why people don't fall over on tricycles as much as they do bicycles. And, and God wants to be that place in your relationship. But you made that vow before God and before all of your friends and family because you saw good in that person. Celebrate the good. Here's what I know. Without celebration, any relationship is going to end up with frustration. Because we, we, we get focused on the bad. It's all bad. Let me tell you about all relationships is that there's no relationship that is gonna give you 100% of what you want. How many have heard of the 80-20 rule in life? How many, you've, you've heard about the 80-20 rule? Well, the 80-20 rule applies to all kinds of different areas, but in regards to a relationship, what the 80-20 rule tells us is that in any relationship, you're gonna have 80% of the things that you want and you love, but it's just gonna fall short of that, that 100%. So there's always gonna be a part of, of you longing for something more that the relationship is not bringing you. And here's what I see happen all the time in life, is that people are willing to cash in the 80% that they love for the 20% that they want. Because they get so familiar with the 80% that they love that they forgot about all of those things. They're just focused on the 20% that they want. And pretty soon, some old high school sweetheart swoops in. Hey, looking good. Haven't talked to you in a while. And now they're talking into your ear things that your husband is not saying to you. And there's that 20%. Or you're at work. Some younger woman comes in she hasn't had three kids like your wife has had kids she looks different she's got this 20 percent that maybe your wife doesn't have and all of a sudden our, our, our eyes and our ears are focused on this 20 percent be careful because when you start chasing the 20 percent and you neglect the 80 percent you may find out that the 20 percent you're chasing was 
it. There was no more than that 20%. And you just cashed in 80% for 20%. And I don't know much about investment, but that is a loss no matter how you slice it. You just lost 60% of good. I had a friend that I was walking through counseling. He was about ready to be divorced. And he was telling me all the reasons why he didn't want to be married to this woman and X, Y, and Z. And he's telling me, and I says, well, bro, stop. I go, dude, you have forgotten all the things of what made you commit your life to her. And I started going through the list with him. I said, Let, I said, no, I'm not going to tell you. You get a piece of paper. You start writing these things down. And he started writing one after another after another. All these great qualities that his wife possessed. He was willing to leave the 80% he loved for 20% that he wanted. And it was a bad investment. Folks, celebrate the good. Maybe today, this week, you're to send out a thank you note to your spouse. Say, I haven't, I haven't appreciated you in a while, you're a hard worker, you're so sexy, you know, just, just can I say that in church? Just, I mean, come on, let, let, let's, let's appreciate and celebrate what God has brought into our life, because as we move this way, what we're doing is we're moving towards sacrificial love, which is moving us to, towards the fulfillment that we are all longing for in our lives. Stand up, church, let's stand together. We're gonna worship God. Because what I'm talking about today is more than just for our marriages. Sacrificial love is something that God wants to pour into your life so he can pour from your life because this world needs to know that they're loved. And there's no better way to profess that love to them by letting the love of God come inside of you. Even though you're a sinner, he died for you. Some of you that are far from God, I want to pray for you right now. Whatever is going on in your life, I just want us all to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, today we come to you. We understand that we didn't deserve salvation. We didn't deserve forgiveness. But you came to this world, left heaven anyway, and died for us because you love us. And today we give you our lives. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. For today, we want to be followers of Jesus and every day, the rest of our lives. Help us to walk in that sacrificial love. Lord, I pray healing right now over some really stressed out, broken marriages. I pray healing right now over anybody that has walked through the trauma of divorce. And a message like this is very painful to listen to. Oh, God. Let heaven just be poured over a person right now that is just so broken in their loneliness in this season that they're going through, God. Repair them, restore them. And Father, we pray more than anything, let us be your output of sacrificial love to a world that desperately needs it. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer to follow Jesus for the first time. I, I want you to connect with us through a connection card in the back or on our website, but we want to help you in your faith, in, in you following Jesus in your life. We want to be there for you, so we encourage you to do that, but let's worship and, and let's declare the love of God through our souls. Let's worship. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.